0: Yeah. So during this Women's History Month, I have to disclose that not only am am I a woman and a part of women's history and actually a part of the deep, dark, long part of women's history, but I have two daughters as well who are Gen X, which is basically, I think, the age of everyone else on this platform. And um, And that's it. One of them lives in London, and she's the one who uh, went skiing in France last month and ruptured her Achilles tendon. So she's going to try to find non-surgical treatments. Okay, let me now get into the real room. Um, This is the Karma Club. It meets once a week, and it's sponsored by the Karma Coin, the Karma coin is a social token that supports other creators. And if we can get everybody to buy five Karma coins, and there's something like 75 cents right now, um,
1: they we can
0: support 85 other artists. And that's what I've been trying to do all last year. And things that are working... Um, against me is that Rally has gone, hi Cheryl, Rally has gone down in price, which means it costs more to support these artists by using Rally to do it. But on the other hand, it's cheaper for the fans. So it's rally.io, Heyman, can you pin it? Yep. Um, Rally.io slash creator, slash karma. And you can buy five coins, and there it is. They are of very little use. They go up and down, but unless you have millions of them, um, they don't go up and down in any meaningful way. That's my way of saying they are not an investment. Don't get into them as an investment unless you are investing in the common good. Because that's why I started them and I, and I think it's even worse because I ever since ever since I um, I started the karma coin I think the world has gotten to a point where it needed more and more karma so let's uh, let's get off this and get on to women's history Month and this is another one like Black History Month that has really disturbed me because I think, in a way, uh, Black History Month and Women's History Month are are ways of signifying that somehow these communities are marginalized. And indeed, they are. I looked up just the um, the latest stuff on... Women's pay equity, because pay equity is the easiest thing to find um, to find statistics for. And women make 84%. I'm trying to get Leo up here as a speaker. And I can't find him. Oh, there he is. No wonder he was en route. Okay. Um, so the point is... There's no reason Black people should be marginalized and there's no reason women should be marginalized. But here we both are, two marginalized populations. Um, I don't have the statistics on pay equity for the Black community, but for the women community, it's 84% of what men get paid. And that is despite the fact that women do have to do a better job than most men do,
2: Donna. You wanted to say something, maybe? I was going to say yes. This is true, and you know, at the part of my career where I put thirty percent less, which was significant, and thirty cents, thirty percent less on everything I sold as well, and I thought it was a mistake, and I brought it to the partners and the HR attention. And uh, instead of them saying they would fix it because I, I was top performer, I thought they would say, oh, we're sorry, we, it was an oversight. Instead, they said, oh, do you think that or do you know that? And it became, you know, let's put it this way. As soon as I brought up the topic, instead of them correcting it, it was a, it was the, the uh, bullet on my head and I was exited. Within a few months of raising my hand, so when you find out that you are, um, you do not call HR, and this is to this day. And this was a woman. You go outside to EEOC, and then you 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 do an anonymous complaint. Because if I could have done that differently, that would have been the one thing I would have done instead of trusting that I was a top performer. They didn't really care. Today, you know, this is the truth.
3: Uh, Dr. your mic.
0: My
2: mic, that's right.
0: Today they would care a little bit more, but um, I started
2: writing a... It was pre-me too.
0: Yeah, but uh, what I did was, um, oh yeah, it was pre-me too. But, you know, I started in early 1970 and I got pregnant in 1971 And the rule was that when you when your pregnancy began to show, you quit your job so that um, does anyone read 19th century romance novels? Do you know how they always refer to pregnancy in those novels as confinement? Well, I knew what that meant, because when I was uh, pregnant after about uh, four or five months, The dean said to me, well, when are you quitting? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, aren't you going to go home and wait for your baby? And I was like, no. And I have the feeling that he thought he would have a position to fill when I quit to have my baby and did not come back. And it shocked him because I said to him, I'm not quitting until uh, I actually have the baby. And I said, is there any law against my working till I give birth? And the answer is there wasn't any law. So since there wasn't any law, he couldn't stop me. But at the time, the the Mormon Uh church the Mormon church um, miracle. You have to, uh, you have to mute yourself if you're going to be up on stage. Uh, At the time, um, although there was no law, there was a tremendous amount of social pressure. So I, I literally, this is, I shared an office with three men with whom I team taught a class and I really de- decided that I would teach until I was uh until I was very pregnant and I had no idea what was a real contraction and what was a Braxton Hicks contraction and you know what I should pay attention to and not pay attention to so I actually taught when I was in labor and that last day when I was in labor, I came in and I said to my male colleagues, I think I'm in labor, but I'm going to teach through the day, and then I'll go to the hospital and see what's going on. And they literally ran for the hills. They didn't. They exited out that office door so fast that you couldn't see them. And I talked through the end of the day, and I gave an assignment to my class, and I said – Um, you write this and um, I'll grade it while I'm having the baby and then um, when I come back I'll give it back to you so they wrote a paper in class and I took it home with me and I graded it and in a week I felt fine because I had had a Lamaze birth which meant no um, no anesthesia and and also no episiotomy so i had no after effects (laughs) and so when i decided i was strong enough to take the baby and work all day i went back to work and because i had nothing to do with the baby i took the baby with me and i walked into my class and at the end of my class and i gave out the papers You know, and I told people what I thought of the assignment and we had conversations. And then um, the dean came again at the end of my class and he said, he said, you're back. And I'm like, yes. And he said, and you have brought the baby. And I'm like, yes. And he said, is there a law? I said, is there a law that I can't do that? And he said, well, I'll have to go look, but I don't know. And this guy was a member of the LDS church. And at that time, the LDS church really wanted women to stay home with their children. And the LDS church was also very active in um in uh, higher education in arizona but i kept coming to work with the baby and there was no law and pretty soon it settled into women could do that and i didn't even realize that i was changing something because it was so unheard of that i would do it you know that that There was no law because they didn't think they needed a law. They thought women would just go away. Okay, women have come...
3: I love that. Y'all, that was like an amazing story.
0: Well, that was only the first of many. I also used to nurse my kids. I nursed each kid till they were two years old. There was no such thing as maternity leave. There was no such thing as pumping your breasts. There was no such thing as as any of that, it was you and the child and a boob. And so I ended up nursing my babies in some places where you really uh, didn't. Well, there was no law against that either at the time, but it was just like, no one did it. Like, you know, I went to New York and I ended up nursing, I forgot which child, on the Fifth Avenue bus. And it's like people got up and changed their seat so they could get away from me. And I also ended up nursing my baby in a French restaurant where I I was asked to leave by a waiter with a very French accent, as though no one had ever had a child out in public before. And I want you to remember this as we go into Women's History Month, that Pregnancy used to be known as confinement, and it was a big damn secret what happened to a woman and where a woman went when she was having a baby. And I think it's impressive that we've moved further from that, but we have a lot further to go.
4: Dr. Francine, I have a question. Do you think that maybe, uh, and I'm just saying this, I feel... The one good thing that came out of the pandemic is that some of these things actually came to light when men had to also stay home and work, and dealt with the pressures of children and and cooking and dealing with all the things that women just do secondhand. So, what I noticed with work and at um, you know it it became normal. We normalized. It's okay if your kid comes and screams behind your video conference. It's okay that you're... And I think that it, family life became much more accepted throughout the pandemic because everybody was at home and men started seeing the, I don't want to say sacrifices, but the natural progression of how women are with children. I, I worked with an executive that sat on a board and she... She had given birth and we had a board meeting and she joined the board meeting and she was literally pumping, like her, she was pumping breast milk and she, and, um, they were all like, it it was very awkward. You could tell, not for, for the woman, but for the men, it was just very awkward that that's what she was doing. And she's like, I have to run a company and I have to also do this. So I think it just, the pandemic kind of fast forward, like maybe sped up normalizing. Whereas before, i i still think it exists when women are pregnant in the workplace so when you go on an interview you have to hide that you're pregnant you can't um they uh, they don't ask you in so many ways when you're interviewing if you have children they ask what your flexibility is like they asked if like when i i, I switched jobs during the pandemic and i remember them asking uh are you open to travel or relocation and what is your flexibility like and that's an indirect way of asking if you have kids and if you're tied down to something, which, you know, legally they can't ask. So I just think um, if in your opinion, do you think maybe in the pandemic it became more normal to be a mother and do these things that you saw so many years ago, if that makes sense?
0: Well, more normal, but I want it to be just plain old normal, not, you know, not just more normal. You know Marissa Meyer had a baby when she was the CEO of Yahoo. I don't know if any anybody remembers that, but she had a baby she brought it to work she had she had a, a playroom or something like that constructed for her and it was very important for her to be with the baby and that was considered very advanced, but I know for a fact that she was penalized because of that. I mean, she she really didn't need the job, but she was penalized for um, being a mother. And I think women still are. Francine,
5: Francine, this is Leo. I don't know if you have an order on your stage or not. No, Leo, you can come talk. (laughs) <laughs> well, I know that when you when you come to Rooms, that we just let you, you know, do whatever you want to do. So, <laughs> but
0: anyway, I just wanted to celebrate. And I do I'm- that back. I extend <laughs> the same courtesy back. You said.
5: Look, I want to celebrate you, first of all. I just love the title of the room. You know, I don't jump into Rooms a lot. Uh, looks like I'm getting poor reception as I drive through the mountains. Um, but Flash, if you can still hear me, I hope you can still hear me. Um, but, Come Francine, on. I want to thank you for what you share, for this room, for the Karma Club, for this topic, celebrating woman. I just, you know, just I'm, I'm celebrating what happened yesterday, which was an amazing history moment um, history that came too late, but still history that came, and that is the passing of the Emmett Till anti-lynching law. And I'm sure you guys have probably talked about that already, but I just wanted to celebrate that because, in fact, um, even though it's named Emmett Till, you know, after um, the historical moment where Emmett Till was, uh, 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 was lynched, um, and we know how many lynchings happen around our country and the history of our country, and especially as it related to this idea of um, protecting uh, white women, particularly. But the fascinating and wonderful thing about this bill being passed by the Senate yesterday was that the Emmett Till anti-lynching law, with all of its history and all the race and gender stuff attached to it, also um addresses sexual assault. I mean in fact you know lynching in the federal court is and I know some of you may be thinking, oh my God, we never we didn't have a federal legislation on anti on, on lynching we didn't until yesterday the Senate passed it. I'm sure President Biden will sign it um, something bipartisan happened yesterday during Women's History Month. And in fact, most people are thinking about it as it relates to black people, and of course, in Georgia, Georgia had over 400 lynchings. Um, you know, in, in a segment of, of time to today, uh, from Reconstruction, uh, Alabama only second to Alabama, I think, or Mississippi second to Mississippi. But um, Leah, wasn't a,
0: there just a lynching during the pandemic? I mean, we yes, think about you know, all all very
5: lynching. Yes, yes, yes. Ma'am. So you got it exactly right. And that's what I think is so fascinating about the passing of this law. One is that it also prohibits, you know, the treatment of women and sexual assaults on women. It also addresses that, although most people are just going to think of it as uh, related to, to, to Black people. Um, and it really defines lynching as any, any uh, mob violence, uh, taking of, uh, killing of a person through mob violence, without um, without the uh, process of law. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. Yes, Ahmaud, Ahmaud Arbery's killing by those two people who claimed citizen arrest, um, that would be considered a federal lynching hate crime under the Emmett Till uh, bill that just got passed yesterday. This is a Women's History Month um, mark, m- moment in history as well as a black history moment in history, as has been intertwined so many times in our history, and I just can't our think histories are our histories are
0: amazingly intertwined, and Indeed. they they always have been, and and I think there always will be because the strength of women is. No better portrayed than in the incredible strength of black women and the role that they've played in helping our country stay democratic. I mean, we do, we do seem to be veering off the topic, but it's, it really is important because it's these months are separated, but the populations that are, that are marginalized, you know, through them and because of them and continue to be marginalized in spite of them, um, they're related. They are related. They're part of the same issue. I'm going to move back down to just listening
5: as I had my just listening icon up when I jumped on the stage just a second ago. I'm going to continue to listen as I drive. But, you know, I also want, and, and we'll make note of this, Uh, for later. I want to uh, have a discussion with you and and others about some legislation that a couple of years ago I was against. um, And I want to really get more advisement because the best thing to to deal with being a recovering sexist, as I like to call myself, a recovering sexist just by naturally being a man in America, (laughs) Um, is that I want to learn. And so one of the things I uh, was against was Georgia uh, had a group of people who were really, really super wealthy people who had created some regulation on um, women who got paid to nurse other people's babies, right? And so there has been legislation presented to regulate that as an industry and to grade and rate um, these Uh, you know you can imagine wealthy white women's children as a way to earn more money and and i sort of you know and other some other black women sort of wait made some wait, wait, wait wait i wait, want to wait. learn more about that yes go ahead yeah
0: i want to learn more about it too they they graded and rated the breast milk of the women so part
5: of the motivation in the in the legislation is being represented and so that's why i say i want to have that conversation with you later. I don't want to derail your conversation you're having now because I want to get the legislation again and I want to go through it with you and anyone else who wants to jump in. Um, Lee Aldridge is a candidate I that I sort of, you know, sort of, she was the one who presented it. And part of it was that she felt that they would actually be able to better pay the women who were breastfeeding, feeding their children, if they could regulate and license their delivery of milk and part of that regulation would be certifying the grade to learn more about it.
6: I find it fascinating. Can I jump in?
5: I'm done, so I, I'll land it there. Yep.
6: Well, uh, I see. I, I had, a, I had, a, I had the. I had five miscarriages, and my son was born my sixth pregnancy, and it was a risk pregnancy. And he was premature, and all the stress and everything. I didn't have milk, and my son was fed by another woman.
0: And, and did you did you check her license?
6: Well, I mean, well, well, in I England, think- he was born in London, and he was in, in, in neon neo-intensive care for nearly two months and um, what they have there is volunteers you do out of altruism right of course they are checked by the hospital and you know there's a whole procedure you just don't walk in and give milk and nurse a baby but uh, this woman was I mean is a fabulous person right at the time I struggled I was actually very jealous of her.
0: Of course you were. <laughs> of course and, you were, Guta, of course.
6: And and actually I I after I I I got over it and I contacted her and we are friends until today and now my son is back in London studying and he made contact with her. So I'm actually really happy because I know he has a second mother there. And with the pandemic, he couldn't come home for nearly two years. So all these special dates like Christmas, Easter, and all these things, even Mother Days, he spent it with her and her family. So I think it's amazing that's done. I'm sorry for being emotional. No, (laughs) Guta.
0: You know what? We never share any of this stuff. None of it. We we are
6: always very factual, isn't it? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And we, we... We always always
0: think we have to be like Greg Sattel, but it isn't all (laughs) all about that. I mean, I love Greg Sattel.
6: Yeah, we do, we do, we do, we do. And talking about Greg, I actually have something as well, because I'm delighted to open this room when we're talking about maternity, when we're talking women, because normally the rooms are about breaking the glass and different pay, and all the other issues that we have to deal with. And maternity, it's put it in an outside box. It's never in the feminist rooms. There's the mom rooms, the toddler's rooms, and, you know. And I find it now that we have to bring also to that discussion maternity, especially maternity in crisis or conflict zones, because what those women are going through in a moment that should be so special is exactly the opposite. They have no access to any health, to any safety. It's really a crisis. And I'm actually, I put Dr. Francine on your back channel, a link to the last report from the UN Agency for Reproduction and Sexual Health of Women. And, uh, and they talk about Ukraine. And Ukraine now, as we know, with the humanitarian crisis, they have 80,000 women, is an estimation. And actually, I found that because of Greg Satevny's situation, uh, that are going to deliver it in the next three months in Ukraine. Imagine what those women are going through, right? I had a premature baby. My son was born less than two 28 weeks and I know what it is to be like this and when he was saying that she had the baby a month ahead from delivery date, I was like, oh my God, how they are coping, right? And the agency is making a campaign to collect funds because they are trying to access those women. They are trying to bring medication incubators. And in a few cases that I heard, they already managed to take some women out of the direct conflict zone in Ukraine and brought, I think, to Romania and Poland. Right. But they need money to do that. And... uh, and I'm organizing to see if we can make a room by next week. And I hope everybody join, these, join us in this campaign. And uh, I think it's important to bring this as well, you know. And you said something that I liked, that is like we are we are not going away. And I want to complete, yes, we are not. We are here not only to be seen and heard, but we are here to also be heard. And we are not only going to stay, we are going to take charge. So I hope we can manage that sooner than later to help those guys fix all that uh, mess that they are creating. So that's me, Little Guta, and thank you for letting me speak. Okay,
0: and now I want to, you to all pull to refresh and look at my profile. Because you see this baby on my profile who looks so serious? This baby is a Russian baby that was born less than a week ago to a client of mine who couldn't leave Russia because she was at the end of her pregnancy and couldn't travel. And this is the picture that they've submitted to the uh, Russian passport agency for his first passport picture. And this baby was, was born during the war. And I want you to look at his little face. His name is Mark and he is adorable and his mother and father are wonderful and there he is stuck in Saint Petersburg until he gets his passport and then when he gets his passport i know that we are all supporting ukraine but i you know in my life i also have a worldwide um contact list of individuals and i have to support Vera and Igor, who have been friends of mine for 10 years and who couldn't have less to do with Putin or the war. And I want you to help me um, set an intention that little Mark is able to fly somewhere out of Russia and safe as soon as he gets his baby passport. Isn't that cool, though? I mean, first That's of all, with you. Baby. What's really wonderful is that I was able to contact them during the war via Telegram. Which I probably shouldn't have said that because now someone will shut it off. But Telegram is still working, and and you can you can actually uh, you can actually contact people in Russia and the Ukraine over Telegram if you know who and where they are. So, and it it made me feel so good. And I've been constantly reaching out to help because it's it's not women's history that we should be celebrating this month. Although, if you want me to, I've got a whole list of women in strange ass outfits who helped settle Arizona. And you should be, you should be. You should see what they all looked like. You know, I mean, these were pioneer women—total, total total women with came west with rifles. And one who even was abandoned. Where's Barbara Annis? She was here for a minute. I need her, or rather, I would like to have her on stage talking about women's history, but. Another subject about women that is off the table. First of all, you can imagine how angry as a proud women's liber, now known as a feminist, um, I was, you know, when I found out that men had Viagra and it was covered by insurance. And that just struck me as amazingly unfair. And so now I'm going to pull another subject into the conversation, unless none of you are willing to talk about it. And that other subject is menopause. That's another thing we don't- Thank you! That we don't talk about, that women go through in silence that's supposed to be some major secret. And actually, um, a woman who is a friend of mine Asked me just the other day, where do I go to find out about menopause? Who is supposed to tell you about these things? And the answer is nobody, because you're supposed to be a man. You're supposed to, you know, if you're out in public and you're working, um, you're supposed to be a man. And you're supposed to act like a man. And you're You're supposed to go go
6: Also, Dr. Francine, sorry to jump in, and you're also supposed to be young all the time.
0: Oh, yeah, that I think is my subject for next week. For next week, I'm, I'm, I'm going to attack this subject of ageism. I mean, we've got so many things wrong with our culture, and I'm not saying that we need to change them all today or tomorrow. But shouldn't we at least acknowledge them? You know, acknowledge acknowledge the place of women and how women function in our culture. I just started reading Barbara Annis's newest book, and um, and I'm hoping that by next week when we talk about ageism, I'll have it finished. And we can, you know, we can talk about what the major differences are between men and women because they're never clearer to me than during a war. When I I believe that, that um, if we had women, more women who were heads of state, we would have fewer wars because somehow women can envision who goes better than men can men cannot envision who goes to war they just say okay let's let's bomb them you know let's like everybody else let's let's create a no-fly zone um, over over Ukraine and if a Russian plane, violates that no fly zone let's shoot them down okay well what are the consequences of that it's it's hard to think that a woman could run a war i mean does anyone know any woman who is willing to run a war anyone know outside of the greek myths what wars have been run by women?
4: None that I can think of.
0: Yeah, that's the point. That's the point. Every-
3: I think I think Hillary would have been up for it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, but let's face
6: it; she has a different psyche, I guess.
0: <laughs> no, Andrea, you you agreed
1: that Hillary would have been up for a war. Uh, I think she would have been more careful, but I, I feel possibly than a man. But I, I think, yeah, of all the women I can think of, and I was just trying to go back to my South Asian roots and and see. Uh, I, I'm just kind of trying to find some facts for you on what women have been active and led a war. But um, um, we sorry. we uh, I think yeah I think if it if necessary I do think Hillary would have been able to do it. I think she would have exhausted all diplomatic. Uh, efforts first but i do think of all the women i know she might be one of the ones i mean she has held the most um, you know she's extremely qualified for a high public office she was a secretary of state she knows the the way to uh, advance diplomatic solutions but course, comes to shove and also her husband was the president so i think she would act if necessary
3: and uh, sorry, this is Heyman. Um, I also have some DMs saying that uh, someone in the audience said basically Margaret Thatcher. And also, there's Masha who's on the call-in side who wanted to uh, chime in. Masha. Hey,
7: uh, Masha. Bring up, uh, hi. Go ahead, Masha. Madeline Albright.
3: Oh, Madeline Albright. Yeah,
7: like she's an absolute ghoul. She relished in the fact of a a million dead Iraqi children. Like there are many women who get co-opted by the state. I'm not a proponent of this cultural feminism that posits that women by dint of biology or something are incapable of being absolute ghouls like that. I don't think that that's... Uh, correct or helpful to like to you know to women's liberation or to the advancement of of like women's issues in, in broader society. So yeah, no, there are lots of women who are very capable of not only um, making war on uh, peaceful civilizations. Like you know, like you brought up uh, Hillary Clinton. She talked about wanting to destroy Russia's economy. Like that is a war on the civilians. That is also a war that. That uh, like you, you're you're punishing the collective for for the uh, the actions of of their leader. Like these are things that are illegal in international court. But you have American female supposedly leaders, uh, <laughs> you know, totally being war hawks. Like so, let's get real there.
8: I agree with that wholeheartedly. Hey everyone. Hey, hey, man, Alicia. Um, I, I hey, am How are you? i'm good thank you how are you dr francis great um Go i ahead, think finish. that yeah sorry I
0: said finish your sentence
8: Yeah, but, uh, my sentence yeah oh okay sorry <laughs> i'm just my question is you know i'm not agreeing with this uh lady um What kind of war are we referring to? Because to me, when you say Hillary Clinton, you say Margaret Thatcher, you're kind of talking about bigger institutions because there are tons of women that have led fights and, and done all of these things. So are we talking in the you know in the western perspective or are we talking in general in war and i think that you know war has nothing to do with gender in the sense of who's capable of what because if you look at history for some reason men suddenly when there is a true crisis understand the value of women and and the construct that that we actually need each other when when there's conflict and and i I just i don't think it's a Man or a woman thing. I think it's a culture thing. It's what we're conditioned to believe. Uh, And I think it's ridiculous in many senses. And also, uh, in my experience, I often feel like women can be way more ruthless uh, than
3: men. And Adyem, to your point, Masha on the call-in side has been uh, sending hearts and thumbs up too. So I think you're in agreement there. Masha, is that true? or?
7: Yes, of course, I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah, I think and I think it takes like I'm not, uh, I was born and raised in socialist Yugoslavia. I came here as a refugee from civil war. So that's that's my like, like positionality statement, I guess, like I think it takes uh, women with global perspectives to, to understand some of these issues a little more in a more clear eyed way, I suppose.
3: And to everyone wondering why there are voices coming out of my face uh, on the Clubhouse side, it's uh, basically, as you know, Car- Karma Club has always had, we've always been multicasting to various platforms. Um, so right now we are live on call, Clubhouse call-in, as well as Twitter spaces, and we're bi-directionally connected. So any member on any one of the audiences can interact. So thanks.
1: I love that, Heyman. bye Directionally, multi-directionally, yeah,
8: multi-directionally.
1: <laughs> <And> I, <yeah. laughs> um, Dr. Francine, I just in a in, yeah, I, I picking up on that thread. I just want to, sh- you know, I I have heard comments in the past uh, to other women and to myself about remarking, uh, "Oh, you're ambitious like a man." <laughs> um,
0: and- well, yeah, that's why I was like, is that a plus that Hillary Clinton could have run a war? I mean do do we need um women who can who can run a war do we uh, you know what never mind i'm so anti-war that i'm well is it
3: necessarily a negative because the thing is it's almost like war or some aspect of it is inevitable with the the way that the larger culture moves like it's going to happen every couple of years right
1: well, oh, Elijah, God, I hope not every two years, but I think you might be right. I think.
3: I mean, this is not just being. This is not. I mean, I'm just based on like, you know, we've been. We just we 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 just got out of ex- Afghanistan, allegedly. I guess I don't know. I don't even know. We've been at well, war for like 20 years.
1: I think you're. I think you're, Dr. Francine. I think the sadly, the reality is, and I bet my dearly divided friend Leo uh, would probably agree with this, but there are bad we can wish for the better world. And I think reality and history has shown us that in our nature, there is some conflict and that um, there, I I think, you know, there will be bad actors. And I guess the question is, you know, what, uh, what are all the ways that you can deal with bad actors? And then what happens, you know, what are the, if you don't want to go to war, that's great. And then at what point is there a threshold? And again, I love what Adiam said, which is like multiple kinds of war waged. <laughs> Poverty is a war, by the way. <laughs> uh, but just to say that you know bad actors exist at some point they cross a line. What what what, what do you do about that? You know, I think it's a it's a moral and ethical uh, dilemma and a reality, and we should try to overcome it. Maybe women's leadership can. But well, she. That that's happening. what. I-
0: that's what I was sort of hoping that if we address some of the principles of women's leadership, that we could avoid um, some of the things that some of the ways that men get sort of um, trapped into war. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I don't know. I'm reading, I'm reading a biography of, of Putin by Fiona Hill, and first of all, you probably have no idea that Fiona Hill actually wrote the book on Putin, and that she knows an awful lot about him, including the fact that there isn't much to know, and that his major thrust was backwards, to, I mean, toward MAGA. To, to making Russia great again, and he had the same uh, philosophy as as Donald Trump. But anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. But it's very very interesting. But he's a very uh, interesting uh, history. Putin is a very big history buff.
3: And if I could I, inject something, sorry, Adam, go ahead. Sure.
8: No, no. Go ahead, Emmanuel. No, it. I
3: mean, if you look at all the leaders, I think during this Ukraine crisis, maybe you could keep an attention of all the uh, the movers and shakers. Uh, the, for instance, uh, look up Christian Freeland. She's a Canadian uh, deputy prime minister and also the uh, finance minister for Canada. And she is the writer of Plutocrats. Uh, she's a former journalist. Uh, she also did her PhD in uh, deep in-depth study of Russia and Ukraine. She's Ukrainian, also uh, by. Background, but she's born in Canada, um, so she apparently was the mastermind behind the the financial uh, sanctions uh, for about for the to the oligarchs and uh, the Russian uh, system. So she also was also behind the whole truckers convoy. Remember the whole episode where there were bank accounts and Bitcoin currency, everything it was. So the belief is that she was the major uh, person behind it, the push. And so uh, maybe look at all those. And also, you Christine Lagarde. So you look at all the movements of these uh, female leaders who are in the space, and maybe that could be a discussion. Because people don't focus on that. They're focusing on the Bidens and the Putins. But the ones behind, even the Trudeaus, right? But the ones behind Trudeau are three women who are behind the Ukraine crisis. So one is, uh, uh, of course, um, Christian Freeland, who's a deputy prime minister. Uh, they also have the defense minister. Yes, I was, I
0: was just looking at her.
3: And uh, the yeah. and also our foreign minister is also female as well. So um, there's definitely um, something you might want to keep an eye on behind the scenes. Well,
8: well maybe thinking, we, yeah. we do
0: a room on the people behind the leaders.
2: Yeah.
8: Well, well,
1: staffers play such a key role. Sorry, Adyam.
8: It's okay. I think that, you know, also this, you know, conversation that we often in the West, we like to portray – One is the good, you know, polarizing. One is the good and the other one is the bad. And I think the problem with that is that we, we kind of let go of the pragmatic look of situations, you know. If we're going to look at Ukraine, what is, you know, what is the history of uh, Ukraine? What happened in 2014? How much money has America billed you, you know, supported with American tax? Five billion dollars. What happened with the coup and who actually physically was behind the coup? The coup, that was the neo-Nazi army party, right? So, you know, if we think about all these things and then, Uh, we kind of see what role we have because some of us in these Western countries we're from, we're on the top of the food chain and that does not come for free. So often we are the worst villains, but we don't even have that perception. And I think that the way media portrays, and I'm going back to this in the sense of how we often also, you know, can discredit and villainize women in general through history. But what we also see is that, you know, the media has kind of underlying agreement of how the narrative is supposed to look like. And it's also interesting to see that a lot of media, 70, 75% of what they're covering is Ukraine now. And we need to ask ourselves, why is that perceived as more important than other conflicts? And why is it that we are more, you know, hysterical over this? Why do we have more, you know, a, a plural, like a, a collective kind of consciousness around? I think that at what point do we kind of get to a place where we, look at things pragmatically and how they kind of uh, fit together and what it does for our economy and why we have the interests we have and, and, and what the story behind it is. Um, and also, you know, I see it in the entertainment business. You know, it's often men in the forefront, but very often the women, you know, doing the, the you know a lot of the hard work behind. So, yes, I, I agree to that part too. I just wanted to add that based on um, what uh, Andrea said.
1: But could I respond, Dr. Francine? Um, I, of course. Thanks. I, I, I didn't know if you were going to jump in there. Um, I agree, actually, uh, completely, uh, um, in that uh, historically, the United States has always acted based on its uh, national interest. We have installed leaders. We have toppled leaders uh, as an it, you know, in our border areas, in, in our backyard, as they used, I mean, even the term backyard that used to refer to Latin America, Central America. Um, so, and, you know, we have absolutely uh, done that. And so, you um, I'm not going to go into the history of Ukraine at the moment. Um, I do think, uh, for example, to further build on your point about discrediting women, uh, just take a look at, you know, what happened to our woman leader, our first elected woman vice president um, with Tucker Carlson. I
3: think there was a um, technical issue on the clubhouse side. Hmm. Yeah, sorry about that. The uh, room apparently has closed for some reason, so we'll have to figure that out. And thank you for joining. Um, We definitely do this every Thursday, so you're definitely welcome to come on.